Welcome to Career Crossroads, the podcast about career pivots and the people who make them. I'm your host, Jonathan Colleton, and if you're struggling with a career decision or work with people who need help making career decisions, I am glad you're here. Today is the second episode presenting my interviews from Collision Conference 2023 in Toronto last month. Last week was NFL offensive tackle and investor Kelvin Beecham, who was a speaker at the conference, and this week's episode is quite a bit different. As I wandered the conference floor, I approached the founders and CEOs of companies who had set up booths at the conference and learned about what their companies do. I hoped I could find at least three people who had totally different careers before founding the company that they were showcasing at the conference, and it only took me six booths to find the three people that I wanted. Today, you're going to hear short interviews with Austin from Siube Software, Kalita from Kilo, and Adam from Elo Gaming Limited. The interviews are going to play back to back to back, and then I'll be back at the end with some follow-up. If that sounds interesting, keep listening. Live from the floor at Collision 2023, I am here with Austin Kelly. Austin, thank you for chatting with me about your career today. Yeah, no problem, man. All right, so tell me about the first career that you thought you had, because what you're here representing today is not the original thing that you set out to do in your life. So tell me about that. Yeah, it was a big deviation. So when I was younger, I went to school for audio engineering, I think when I was around 21. And uh, initially, I wanted to be in a studio, but then I kind of tripped and stumbled a couple times and ended up in live sound. And I ended up doing that here in Toronto for about four to five years. Okay, so we're at the Enercare Center. Did you come here quite a bit to do conferences and things like that? All over the exhibition place. So there's all sorts of venues here, and I would come to the BMO Field, the exhibition, Better Living Center, all that stuff. Okay, so you're doing that. Did that feel like that was going to be the path and you were, you were happy doing that? Or did at some point you decide, maybe I want to check out some other career path? I think in the future, I always thought... I'm a, bit of a, I'm a bit of a person that likes to go from place to place and try different things. So I thought maybe one day I would change it up, but I did not. I thought I would be doing it at least for like 10 to 15 years. So 10 to 15 years, you only did it for what, five years I think you were telling me before? Yeah, that sounds about right. So what happened after five years? Basically, basically COVID happened and all the theaters and all the venues shut down. And it was kind of a thing where I'm the kind of person where I don't want to just sit and wait for things to happen. So within like a month or two, I was like, I need to start doing something else. I totally understand that. COVID impacted a lot of people's careers. I work in event management, and so uh, I work with students. And when their events all died, I switched jobs as well. So I totally understand. (laughs) In the same boat. Uh, Yeah, in the same boat as you. So you, not willing to wait around, how did you decide where to go next? Well, initially, I started working on my buddy's farm. And then uh, I was really close friends with my, uh, my cousin. Zeke, who's uh, standing behind you there. And uh, we were kind of always talking about it, going like, maybe we should do a business together. And then it kind of just became clear after like a bunch of conversations that like, oh, why aren't we doing this now? Because we're both sitting at home anyway. We got computers, right? So we just started to make it happen. Okay, so business, broad term. That could mean anything, right? Now, your skill set is in audio engineering at the time. His was in more programming, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So how did you decide where to go with those skills? Uh, we both loved games. We both loved playing games when we were kids. We played like, you know, like StarCraft, Root War, Call of Duty, just like, you know, all those old school games, Counter-Strike. So it just became, it was a natural progression to go like, oh, let's make a game of our own. 
Okay, perfect. I love that. We're clearly the same generation. I grew up with a lot of Halo, all the NHL games every year, but StarCraft certainly was part of that as well. Yeah, so, yeah. I, you know, you were living out the dream or you were trying to live out the dream there because how many kids do you know that wanted to grow up and make their own video game, right? Especially if that was something you're interested in. What kind of game did you guys want to make? Uh, we wanted to make, like, we wanted to make a game that was difficult but rewarding. I think a lot of games don't do that as much anymore. It's it's always about like, oh, let's just make it like a, an easy as possible game that everybody can just keep progressing in. We're definitely more like almost a Dark Souls kind of like like progression where we like to just we like to challenge the player and then give them a reward. Yeah, that is definitely not the game I play because I just find them so challenging. I can't do it. Yeah. Uh, did you have a name for that game when you initially started to develop it? We had an internal name. It was called ZC, which stood for uh, Zone Control. It didn't mean anything. It was just like a silly internal name at the time. Yeah, like Project Beta or something like that. Yeah. Exactly. Just fluff. Just fluff. Okay. So as that program develops, as you, you're developing the game, at a certain point, do you feel like, well, this is really taking off? Or do you feel like you need to start pivoting and changing things up a little bit? We spent a lot of time building the internal tools to make the game. And after a while, it became pretty obvious that that was becoming 90% of the work. And we started to realize that those tools might be useful to other people. So we thought, hey, we might as well start taking that and bring it to the masses. Okay, and is that how you ended up founding or working with Seab Software? Yeah, that's pretty much what happened. We didn't have like a, an incorporation, a name or anything for the company. We were just making a game, right? And then it was like, oh, okay, I guess we make software stuff now. I guess we're a software company, you know? And it's like, oh, I guess we should name our company. I guess we should name the products. And it, yeah, just it all just started happening, right? Okay, so tell me a little bit more about that. You say you make tools that make other people's experiences making games easier. Tell me what that means in practice. It means, uh, like, so to be specific, we basically make it so people who want to make multiplayer games are, are able to do that and, and make, it's much more accessible. So if you, like, if you work in our environment, like using our language and our software, if you're a small game dev or a small studio, you can be like, oh, I want to make this game multiplayer. You can do that without having to worry about all the networking back end of it. Okay, which is great because there are people like me that maybe have a creative side of wanting to make a game and have none of the technical know-how. Yeah, you don't want to sit down and go like, oh, what's a socket? Oh, like how do I communicate packets? Like you don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Yeah, I understood some of those words. So clearly I uh, would need your help if I was ever going to make a game. That's why we're here, right? Perfect. So are you licensing the software? Is that how that works? Uh, it's a mixture of open source and, uh, and a SaaS product. So the open source part is we want to build a community and we want to be as successful as possible. We want everybody to be able to use the language and be able to use the, pro be able to use the software without any accessibility issues. So that's like, that is a standalone thing. And then on top of that, we have a SaaS service or a cloud system that people can be like, oh, I really like my game and I want to be multiplayer. Then they can start using that as well. Okay, two more questions for you. So one is, if somebody wants to find out more about your product, maybe it's something they want to utilize in their own game development, where can they best connect with you? Uh, you can check us out at seub.com, which is S-E-A-U-V-E.com. And then you, if you want to look at our software, you can go to exact.dev. Great. So now that we know about that, final question, because this is a career podcast, how then did you get the skill set to go from what you were doing to what you're doing now? How did you develop that? A mixture of help of knowing people that are programmers and self-taught. Nowadays on the internet, you can learn most things. You can do it through YouTube. Like I even I even love doing like manual work, like carpentry and framing. You can watch YouTube videos. There's so many resources to learn skills that if you are really passionate and you want to, you want to make it happen. You want to make it work. You can do it. Wonderful. Thanks so much for telling me about your career today. Yeah, no problem. No problem.
live on the floor on day three of Collision Conference 2023. I'm here talking to Kalita, who has a company but started a career totally different from this company. Kalita, thank you for chatting with me today. Of course. Thanks for coming over. All right. So tell me about your very first career because it had nothing at all to do with what you're doing today. Yeah, so I used to sell fertilizer to farmers. Uh, I actually used to sell organic fertilizer to organically minded farmers. So I did everything from mixing the fertilizer to putting it on the trucks to delivering it and helping the farmers like choose which fields to put it on and soil testing and all that kind of stuff. That was my first ever career job. And as you can imagine, let's you know roll the clock back about seven years and think about what it's like to sell fertilizer to farmers as a woman uh, and you know they don't always buy what you're selling but they definitely want you to drive in their driveway once a week so it was a bit of a tough go so a lot of uh, going around but sales are sales are tough how did you end up in that career in the first place I think we should back up a little bit because that's a pretty unique career path to end up in So I grew up on a farm in southwestern Ontario. Uh, My dad was a farmer, his dad was a farmer, and I wanted to kind of stay in that area. I was also really passionate about the environment, so that was kind of like, sort of felt like a natural direction for me. But yeah, I knew I liked it, but then as I got into the career of it, I found that it was more sales than it was actually like making a difference in terms of the environment. So it didn't really turn out to be the thing that I thought it was gonna be. Okay, so I know that you went from that to uh, owning a gym. So how did that transition occur? Uh, I have to imagine it was because of your just general interest in fitness or something along those lines? Yeah, so in 2012, my dad passed away. He's a very important person in my life, and it was like super hard. And I found that like the, and I'm a redhead, so like I kind of get emotional and mostly on like the anger side. And I knew there was like something that I had to do in order to get those, you know, at least physically, like get active and, and that kind of thing. I had always been active, but I had never done CrossFit before. And I found CrossFit through that sort of like grief and trauma. Okay. And so did you know what you were doing when you started this gym? Other than being <laughs> interested in CrossFit, like the business side of owning a gym, how did, did you just like figure that out as you went? Well, so my dad was like an entrepreneur and he did, did like tons of businesses, but unfortunately, like I, he couldn't, he didn't have time to pass that knowledge down to me. So while I knew that like it was really fun and busy and like you can do all this stuff, I didn't have necessarily the tools to do that. So because I would consider myself somewhat of a cautious person, uh, I did as much research as I could before I started the gym. And so what I did was I hired a mentor before I even started the gym, just so that I could figure out what people had done wrong and not do those things and get the advice before I started. So I did hire a mentor and then kind of like got in into business that way. So it felt a little less scary, but you, I was still able to make my own mistakes <laughs> because, you know, I don't listen to people that well all the time. So yeah, I was still able to make a lot of my own mistakes. But hiring a mentor was like a really key piece of that process. Okay. How long did it take while you were running the gym before you felt like, I know exactly what I'm doing? Or did you ever feel like that? Were you just bootstrapping the whole time and thinking, you know, maybe one day I'll feel like 
I am every day I walk in, I know exactly what's going on, or, or what, did it ever really hit that point? Um, I think it did. Like I think there was there was a point where I was like, yeah, this the systems are running really well. My staff is really good. My goal was actually to retire before I reached the age of thirty. And I did. I was functionally retired with my gym. I moved to Portugal for a little while. I ran my gym remotely, which was basically just like one call a week with my general manager. And so, yeah, at that, at that point, I did feel like the gym is running well. Uh, but I was, you know, as an entrepreneur, you get a little bored. So the best thing as an entrepreneur that you do, which is not the best thing, that's a joke, but the best thing that you do is you stick that, you stick that, that stick into the bicycle tire and you kind of screw it up for yourself, which is what I found myself doing instead of stepping away and letting my staff do the thing. So it would run well and then I would do something and then it would run not so well for a minute. So there was always that cycle. Okay, and what you're here at Collision to talk about is something related to running gyms, but not specifically running your gyms. You're here to talk about Kilo. So tell me all about Kilo, how it got started, what you guys do. Yeah, so Kilo makes running a gym easier and more profitable. So the biggest struggle that I had and my two business partners had with our gym is that it took like 18 pieces of software to do one thing, which was, you know, get leads in the door and sell them the thing that you want them to buy. So marketing your gym is really hard, especially being a small boutique fitness gym owner. So my gym was a CrossFit gym. Uh, a lot of the gyms that we serve are CrossFit gyms and they're competing against the things like Good Life Fitness in Canada or Anytime Fitness or like Gold's Gyms in the US. And we just don't have the budget to do that. So we needed a solution that wasn't necessarily super expensive, but something that was like more or less done for you and it was all in one. And so that's why we created Kilo. Uh, and Kilo uses websites, marketing automation, and we're launching our gym management platform to help gym owners and make their lives easier. Okay, so when did you start Kilo? How long has it been around? So we started building it at the end of 2019. We planned on launching it March of 2020. Uh, our plan, as all good plans go to, go to shit, but our plan was to sell about four websites a month. Just four. And uh, gosh, it was like St. Patrick's Day, right? Everything had shut down. Uh, gyms weren't open. We were like, holy crap, what are we gonna do? But we had all of these customers waiting for us in the wings because they knew what we were working on and we had been in the industry and made all these connections for so long that people had the know, like, and trust with us. So what we did was we said, okay, we're gonna simplify our processes and we're gonna figure out how we can serve these gym owners in their time of need. And instead of selling four a month, we were selling five a day. And so we grew incredibly fast because we were talking and listening to our customers and our potential customers. And we said, we're gonna help you. And that's exactly what we did. Great. So for all my gym rats out there listening, where can they find you if this is a service that they are interested in? Yeah, sure. So you can find us at usekilo.com. You can find us on Instagram or Kilo Gyms. Uh, definitely check out the Gym World podcast that my two business partners do. Uh, John and Mateo are hilarious and very good looking. Uh, so definitely check them out as well. All right. Thanks so much for talking to me today. Thank you so much. <laughs> Here.
here at Collision 2023 with Adam Hepburn of ELO, but Adam and I are going to talk about ELO just yet, because as we were chatting here, when I came up to your booth, you have a fascinating career story I want to hear all about. So tell me about the first career that you thought you wanted. Yeah, man. So when I was younger, I had an uncle who was really showing me all of the Katia, AutoCAD, stuff like that. Told me a lot about going into engineering, making money, and I wanted to get into offshore welding. So he was doing oil rigs, and I wanted to get it offshore, go underneath the water, stay there for 12 hours a day, work long hours, and uh, they made a lot of money. That's what I wanted to do initially. Yeah, I've definitely heard there's uh, quite a bit of money to be made in that career. So that's what you wanted. That didn't happen. Why didn't that happen? So in high school, I was kind of not really paying attention, wasn't the best student. Uh, in grade 11 and 12, I started getting my grades up, but not as high as I needed to. I applied to Waterloo to get into uh, mechanical engineering, mechatronics engineering. Uh, I ended up not getting into any engineering, and then after they sent me over to McMaster for automotive and vehicle technology. Okay, so that was something that you had applied for, or you got admittance to that even though you didn't apply? So I actually applied, so I applied to engineering in multiple universities and then after in Mac as well, they said, well, we can't put you in regular engineering because you're not there. So we're going to put you in automotive and vehicle technology engineering. All right. So uh, you get into that program and obviously you, I know you accepted that. Was that something that you really felt like, I guess I could see myself doing this or were you really excited about the opportunity? It was kind of like going with the flow. The thing is... When you're 18, like, especially when I was younger, you kind of just want to, like, you know, your parents are like, hey, you need to get into university, you need to do this, you need to do that. You don't really know. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And so I just ended up doing wherever, like, wherever I was taking. Like, I was like a bag in the wind going to wherever it was taking me. And I wasn't really super excited. It was pretty fun, but... It... Okay, so you're there at McMaster. As you progressed through that program, did you really feel like, this is something I can definitely see myself doing with my career? So when I did co-op, I, I went to co-op and I actually got in as a supervisor initially uh, for a production at a couple companies, uh, automotive companies. It was pretty cool. However, it was really, really long hours. It was not paying enough. It wasn't worth it. And then after I ended up, I ended up hating it by the end of the co-op term. So it, yeah, yeah, it was pretty bad. So it's tough to graduate and now know that you have a degree in something that you're not that interested in, right? So what did you what did you do with that? Because it's hard to know. You've paid all this money and now you've got this degree and it's not the career you see yourself doing. Yeah, so me and uh, one of my best friends, uh, Demos, we, he actually started to show me about entrepreneurship. He started getting me into uh, writing, getting people on Upwork to write romance novels for Amazon. Then we ended up getting into dropshipping and then... We ended up, uh, I ended up splitting with him, and then after we ended up doing uh, marketing ads for other companies, and then we eventually got into bigger and bigger companies. As me and Demos, we met up again a little bit later and got into bigger companies, and that kind of introduced me to entrepreneurship. Okay, so you were just skilling up on your own, figuring out the skills as you needed. Oh yeah, dude. There was there was nothing out there. There was like you get into like you listen to internet gurus, you watch YouTube videos, you watch, you read books. You're trying to figure it out. You didn't really know what you're doing. Uh, like nobody taught you any of this stuff. Like even simple things like taxes. Like what do you claim back on your taxes? How business taxes work? I didn't even know you need a business bank account, right. right? That was separate from your own. I got in trouble. So yeah, it was nobody, nothing, nothing out there. All right, so obviously e-commerce was successful for you though, based on everything you've said to me right now and what we talked about before. 
did you feel like e-commerce is definitely what you want to do then long term and did you want to specialize in anything? Yeah, so I'm definitely good because I played a lot of games. I was a huge gamer. I love being behind the computer and uh, me and Demos were really good at running ads. Uh, it made a really good partnership and uh, when we were running our company, it was something I was like, this is something we can do. I'm not really good at you know front facing stuff. So sit, be able to sit behind a computer, not code, and be able to still make money and provide value to people was definitely something that we started doing really good at and yeah. Okay, so competitive gaming and you realize there's something you can do with gaming and the e-commerce that, that you were working on. So how do you decide what that specific thing is gonna be? Yeah, so when we were, when I initially thought of the company, I knew that because I played so much computer games specifically, I was like, okay, we need to make the premium gaming peripherals. We need to make the peripherals that no matter what game you play, you know that you are coming to our brand if you want to compete at the highest level. But the problem is a lot of those gaming peripherals like headsets, earbuds, mice, all that stuff is very saturated. So what we did is we saw that there was opportunity for mobile gaming. So we made a mobile gaming controller, especially since it's a growing industry. And we fixed all the problems on the market and we ended up coming up with this controller. Okay. So tell me about this controller. What are we going to be able to use it for? I know this is a brand new prototype. I was trying out Diablo on it a little bit. So what do you expect that people are gonna be able to play with this controller? Yeah, so the thing is when developers make games for mobile games, they make it for touch controls specifically. But what happens is, uh, so when you plug in a controller, it won't register the controller. We made software that actually maps it to every single controller, uh, every single game, regardless of what the game is. And then after you're able to play any single game on it, we're gonna be talking to a few companies to get cloud gaming, you have remote play. So I was playing Spider-Man on it, like Spider-Man, which is a PS5 game. I was playing Elden Ring on it. I was playing uh, a whole bunch of other games. You can play Fours on it, which we're gonna be demoing tomorrow. And we're gonna be able to uh, play pretty much every single game on it, except for Nintendo games. Right, because Nintendo uh, has a, an iron grip on their licenses, I understand. So, yeah, okay. So, ELO Games, tell me, when you were 18, if you were to go back in time and tell yourself this is what you were doing now, would you be surprised to find that out? I, yes and no, because in the gaming industry, I imagine a lot of people grow up playing games thinking that they want to be in the gaming industry. Running a gaming company, not a chance. All right, thank you so much for talking to me today, Adam. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jonathan. And those were my conversations from Collision Conference 2023. I like that these conversations were short enough to put all together in one episode because I think it really showcases how different people's reasons can be for changing careers. Austin left audio engineering behind because there was no more work for him when COVID hit. Kalita got into CrossFit as a way to cope with the passing of her father, and that led to her opening a gym and now founding Kilo. And Adam realized he didn't want the lifestyle of an automotive and vehicle tech, so he pursued e-commerce when his friends suggested it, and that led him to founding Elo, which he is running today. These interviews also present a stark contrast from the ways in which we can obtain the skills we need for a new business. Austin learned from the internet, Kalita hired a mentor, and Adam said that you can only learn so much from the internet, so you just need to try things and learn from doing.
It's nice for me to be able to directly compare these interviews because I'm generally only focused on speaking to one person each week. While Collision Conference is over, it's got me thinking about how I can utilize other conferences around Toronto or nearby as a way to interview and compare multiple career paths in a different way. I'm not going to say too much about that here, though, as I'm going to be writing a blog post about that on careercrossroads.ca soon, so you can either bookmark the website or check out our social media accounts as I'll post it on there once that blog post is available. I also have a video recap and a blog post coming out about the conference soon, hopefully this week, but sometimes life gets in the way and maybe it's going to take longer than that. I spoke during the Chronicle series back in February and March about cutting myself more slack when I can only achieve so much Career Crossroads content, and the Extra Collision Conference content seems like a pretty good place to start. That's all for this week's episode of Career Crossroads. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd ask that you show the podcast some love. Share it with a friend or leave us a review and share that on social media. It's a great way to help other people find the podcast. If you want to hear more interviews like this, go to careercrossroads.ca or follow the podcast on your favorite podcast player of choice. 